We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,391 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Melissa for the first podcast of 2024. What a pleasure it is to see you again. How was your holiday season? It was nice, Johnny. Thank you. And yours? Uh, well, it was as good as it could have been, I suppose. If if it was any better, I think it would have been against the law. You know, it was that kind of, you know, it was that good. So no, it's, uh, it, it was a nice holiday season. Everybody was happy. Everybody was healthy. Everybody got all their you know, seasons, greetings and all that stuff out of the way. So yeah, it's, it's time to get back to, uh, to business. I did a lot of reading, did a lot of study, uh, over the Good. holiday season. So yeah, I, I did a bunch of that and it's tough. Well, you know how it is when you get into a subject, it is tough to put it down. Like once you get mm -hmm. really enamored into, to what you're, you're reading into, it's like, I don't want to stop looking into this. And so you go right on to the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing. And then real life kind of catches up with you and you're like, I have to put it down because I have to do this and we're here now. So mm -hmm. you said that you've got a few things on your mind. Let's just start there and we'll just see how it goes. Ah, well, my goodness, that's an invitation to my chatterbox. That's fine. First, that's good. <laughs> I, I think overarching, I mean, like I did what a lot of people do at the end of the year, which is assess, plan, think about what, you know, you've done that worked out in the year previous and what you might want to change. And we were just discussing resolutions quickly off air. And I, I did say I resolved to take better care of myself. But other than that, I'm, I'm not going to be. <laughs> that is a good goal. No, that, that is a good goal. And I honestly, I, I truly believe that you of all people, I believe you will follow through with it. Because if it's anything like what I saw today, which I was telling you about uh, very briefly in prep, because today was the first day back and everybody was getting uh -huh. back into things. And today was the day that people get into the gym. And some of the sites I saw today, I don't think any of that should be allowed in public. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> It's funny. And you said that I, I, I guessed that the average that a person would spend in their commitment to go to the gym was three weeks. And you said that's exactly what the gym owner said. Yes, that is exactly right. I was I was talking to uh, one of the uh, the managers last week and they said it's the same every year. And it is. I've, I've been there for several years after the, you know, the first part of the uh, the new year. And it's three weeks. What you will find is and I found this every year. So the last few years, I, I found this at least uh, every year, you will always find one person that will stay. It's usually one, possibly even two people that will stay. Mm -hmm. The rest of them will not. 
So you'll find mm-hmm. maybe one or two that are actually committed to wanting to do uh, what you're talking about, making a real change and sticking with it. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny to see. You know, that's why I've never made resolutions, not because I think I would flake out on them, but it's like, well, you know, if you should be doing better, you ought to be doing better all the time and you shouldn't wait until the end of the year to decide that you're going to do better. But it gives anyway, an excuse. <laughs> it gives me, oh, I'm going to get into it this year. I'm going to stick with it. And yeah, 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 for sure. But I what one thing that I did do, I, I will say, I don't know if this is self critique or if it's just if it's it's just the way that I am is I tend to get excited about lots of things at one time. And I may do them. I may pursue them. I'm like reading this and I'm reading that and I'm working on this and I'm working on that. And I do tend to be one that follows through, finishes up something, but I might go faster if I just stayed on the one thing, but I can't do that. So there you go. So I had received, I mentioned to you in an email that somebody wrote an email and they said, oh, you and Johnny said that you were going to read together foundations, um, their power and influence, and then discuss it in future talks. And you never did that. And he said, the last time you mentioned this, you were on page 180. And I thought, well, he's right. I never did finish that book. I picked it up. I looked at where I was in it, which was about page 260. So I did make some progress. And I did have other interesting things that I found in there, but I just never bothered to share them publicly. So we said that would be one thing, but over the uh, right before Christmas, I did a real history with someone and she had recommended Marcus Aurelius's meditations to me probably a year ago, and I forgot about it. She mentioned it again in this real history, and someone else had emailed me, I ought to read that. And Johnny, it is a good follow up. You and I were talking about Seneca. And it's a good uh-huh. follow-up to the stoic frame of mind. And what she said was, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had leaders that actually came from this, you know, so that Yes. Yes, absolutely. It, that's that's it, why I, I I started reading Seneca and I'm I'm thinking to myself, these things are common sense that we're not following. These are like basic things that we should be following. These are basic leadership rules and and traits that we should have. And we don't have them. We no. we don't have we don't have people that that follow this mindset at all. And this is not some new concept. I mean, you go back to when that was. Seneca was what uh, seventy nine BC, somewhere along in there. So or or, so, or maybe set to seventy nine AD, so, somewhere along in there. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I can't remember. Seneca the uh, the younger I think was uh, was who it was. But we don't have that mindset, and we do need that mindset. And you're absolutely right. And the listener was absolutely right. We do need leaders with that mindset. We don't have them. Yeah. Oh, well, what she was saying is, you know, obviously we're at a place we can't go on like this. It's a pity. She said, I don't know what the solution is. Um, I'm not sure I know either. I, yeah. I do I do think, though, in uh, just playing off of that, I do think that it's just my opinion. I think that our answers lie in the ancient past around that time and around that philosophy, as opposed to, you know, something that we could come up with in modern times. I do believe that would be a, a fix as far as rectifying this, because we are on a, as I've been saying for many, many months and going on years now, we're on a dead end road. 
and we need to get off of it. And I mean now. One of the interesting things that Marcus Aurelius said, and the meditations was evidently purported to be just his journal for himself, that it wasn't about the philosophy of Stoicism or anything like that. But one of the things that he said was that he wanted each day to examine his actions in the day, think about what he had done that he could have done better, think about what he had done that was wrong, that could be improved upon. And I I thought, well, that this isn't just a leadership quality. This is something that, like we, if you talk about a New Year's resolution, we ought to be every single day saying, what did I do that I could have done better or what did I leave undone or unsaid? And that's a good lesson going into a new year is a little more, you know, Alan would always say, know yourself, you know, know yourself and knowing yourself is real. you know, it's not self-obsession, but it is self-examination. No, you have to have that. And I, I think to the uh, the leadership quality, we put people in leadership positions. And I, I've been instructed to do this kind of thing before. That's all I'm going to say on it. To put people in positions where they're not supposed to be. They're not qualified to, to be in those positions. They're, they're being put into leadership positions and they're not leaders. We, mm-hmm. we do this all the way up through all of our educational institutions, our politics and financial institutions and all the rest of it. These are not leaders. These are managers that paint by numbers and idiots that think they're geniuses. <laughs> That's what they are. I, I don't know of another way to describe it. I'm sorry for just kind of being kind of brash when I say that. But the problem is, is is when you put someone in a leadership position that is not a leader and has no leadership qualities, there are a number of things that follow along with this. And that is you put someone in there that is not enlightened. If they don't have leadership qualities, they're not going to be enlightened. Therefore, there is not going to be any leadership. There is not going to be any enlightenment that's passed down. And as a result of that, you will have this person that is in that leadership position that does not belong there. They will put people in positions around them that are of lesser quality than they are to reinforce them themselves. And whenever this person tries to hand down orders or actions or whatever, this is why there's chaos and disarray because nothing ever gets done. This is a recipe for anarchy. And it is in everything. It is in our institutions, as in like our schools, our educational institutions. It's in our financial institutions. It's in our businesses. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. I also think in addition to that, they're, they're not qualified leaders or just as you described it, often they are puppets so they have been and you know put there by design uh, for us to you know the the punch and Judy to throw the tomatoes at to take the heat. Um, they like the limelight. They like all the perks, whether it's the the drugs, the women, whatever their perks are, stock tips, you name it. But they have they really don't even have an interest in leadership. They're they. It's almost like they they know they're puppets. They're there in that position chosen to be. And that was one of the interesting things in that la- the section of foundations, um, their power and influence was talking. What interested me overall about this book is how long undue power has been concentrated in the hands of a very few. And the book cites the Walsh Committee from 1915 which was a U.S. Congress uh, committee that was investigating chiefly the Rockefeller Foundation. But the same criticisms that the Reese Commission was making in the 50s, the Walsh Committee had done in 1915 
they had previously the the Cox Committee, which was in the or like I think 1951, and over and over they said the same thing, and it made me think about what Alan always talks about: how politics really is a charade. There is no reality to it because you see, if there was reality, the kind of damning evidence that was put together and dissected and analyzed by these groups would have been acted upon. But what you're talking about is an inversion of power. Because when the money groups like the Ford Foundation, the Rockefellers, and you add Gates to it or Soros or whatever, are the ones who are putting these puppets in power and all the way down that then the puppets make themselves look better by having their underlings who are morons. But I, I do think a lot of it comes down to the fact that our governments worldwide, but a lot in the U.S., have been, they've been put there, they've been made by foundation money for at least 100 years now. I think at least 100 years. And there there was a section in the book where they were talking about um, the overreach of the foundation. They want, one guy, Dr. Held, said that a foundation needed to have the freedom to discriminate, to take chances, to try to identify the good and make it better. And the author of this book said this amounts not to a mere support of controversy, but to an actual taking of sides on controversial issues. Again, the author says on the following uh, page about what the Ford Foundation is up to in terms of their interest in improving American society, he said, it seems to me that this is the social engineering concept gone wild. And have we not seen for our entire lifetimes, social engineering gone wild. Yes. Case in point, look at the last four years, especially. Yeah. I mean, that's Absolutely. that's when it really started to ramp up was was with COVID. And of course, you had foundations that were involved in that. Bill and Melinda Gates and you know all the all the rest of these, Gavi and the World Economic Forum. That is a foundation, by the way. Yes. And if you just I want to come back to the World Economic Forum. But when you talk about the last four years, I looked this morning to see who the top foundations were. And I don't have it in front of me, so if I mess up the name, I'm sorry. But the number one foundation by a wide margin in terms of their capitalization is, I think it's called Norvo Nordisk. It's a Danish company, and they control the pharmaceutical company by, I believe, the same name. Well, now guess who weighed in heavily on COVID policy? Additional to the manufacture of COVID supplies, additional to the propaganda around it. Well, it's this foundation. And we all, we know, we've heard loud and clear where Gates came in on this. And this is foundation money. Yes. There was another foundation that Bruce and I tracked down. And the name eludes me at the moment, but it is a foundation that is involved in vaccine manufacturing. And they were part of a um, of a purchase, if I understand it correctly, because we were looking for, for something else. We were just kind of researching one thing one day, and, and we were looking for something involving vaccine grants or something like that. And we ran across another article out of CNBC and said that Novavax won a, con a contract for the United Kingdom for 40 million doses of COVID vaccine. We're like, what's Novavax? What is that? That is a company that was in dire straits literally a few hours before it was ready to go bankrupt. <laughs> Who swoops in to buy it? None other than Bill Gates. 
and buys them. <laughs> and they have never, they, they, they specialize in RSV vaccines, respiratory syncytial virus vaccines. They have never, to this date, they have never brought a successful product to market. And now all of a sudden, they won COVID vaccine contracts, millions and mm-hmm. millions of dollars worth. One of the other people that swooped in to help sponsor this was a... Um, it was a foundation. Again, I'm sorry, the name eludes me, but it we found, we tracked it back. It is directly tied to the World Economic Forum in terms of vaccine development. They specifically support that foundation that does vaccine research. Uh, that is interesting. Yeah. And, I, I can't uh, remember the name. I'm going to have to run it down again, but it just because you mentioned that, uh, that's what triggered that in my head. And we talked well, about it at the time. We reported on it, but I, I can't remember what the name of it is. It's like no, ICCR or something like that. I don't know. Well, that uh, that that's ringing a bell in the back of my head too. But this more, you know, I I did say right off the top that there were issues like if I think about the year ahead and the overarching issues that I think are important to focus on, concentrate. One of them was this um, who pandemic treaty that oh, is in the works, <laughs> right for yeah. for May of this year. I hadn't looked at this for. A couple of months now, at least. And so when I started to look things up, of course, the very first sites that came up on my search were debunking sites, debunking, saying this does not take away national sovereignty, even though many political organizations and it went on to list the conservative. It's always this is always left versus right and how it's presented. But they're saying many of the conservative groups are characterizing this as the who taking away national sovereignty. And that is not true. And it went on to debunk, debunk, debunk. And it said, also, this is not a legally binding treaty. There were like a handful of things. So I kept going with my search and lo and behold, what do I find on the World Economic Forum site earlier this year? They're talking, the headline is, who pandemic treaty? So they call it a treaty, even though the debunker said it's not a treaty. Okay, what is it and how will it save lives in the future? And they then said it would, you know, this is a fact, it would give the World Health Organization the right to declare a pandemic, which evidently they can't do all by their lonesome now. And it said, why is it called, what is the so-called pandemic treaty? Now, remember, this is from the World Economic Forum site. The WHO already has binding rules known as the International Health Regulations, which in 2005 set out countries' obligations where public health events have the potential to cross borders. These include advising the WHO immediately of a health emergency and measures on trade and travel. So they go on to say... But that's a conspiracy theory if you think it gives them any kind of power. Exactly. And then it said, "It's this is World Economic Forum. It said... Where is this? Um, and I'd just like to point out, uh, while you're looking for that, I, I'd just like to mention that it is a staple part of this pandemic treaty that Bill Gates has his germ teams that are worked into this. Right. For yeah, pandemic abs- response. Absolutely. I'm looking at the exact language here where they said that it is binding. It doesn't take away sovereignty. Oh, here it is. Okay. However, the proposed pandemic treaty has come under fire on social media, mostly from right-wing critics warning it could lead to countries ceding authority to the WHO. The body 
strongly refutes this, stressing that governments are leading the negotiations and are free to reject the accord. Okay, just think about that carefully. That means that it absolutely is binding and it does cede authority to the WHO, but countries are free to reject the accord. If you don't want to cede authority to the WHO, then you can reject it. <laughs> right. That, but, but, I mean, that's really what that says. <laughs> it, it does. Yeah, it does say that. But, you know, just as well as I do, they'll just repackage it as something else and come back at it on a yes. new front. Yes. They always do. They, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I am not sure how an individual like how you or how I do this other than talking about it. I mean, you know, we're going into May. Yeah. I remember years ago, people saying, you know, we've got to do something about Agenda 21, Agenda 21. Well, the pushback on the public getting awareness of what was going on with Agenda 21 is they simply changed the name. It became Agenda 2030, the sustainability goals, the SDG, you know, so forth and so on. But the bottom line is, is that all of those huge changes to the way that localities, local municipalities can govern themselves, those are in effect. So in effect, your local area is already under a kind of UN mandate when you look at Agenda 21 objectives. So I don't know, you know, at that time, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, it was, well, we got to do something. We have to say something. That still is how I feel about this Hugh Treaty, the who, the Hugh, (laughs) the who Treaty. Yeah, the the who Treaty is that there are a few months left. It seems to me like this is something that we should be bringing regular attention to, just sounding an alarm like a Paul Revere. I, I think that's all we can do is is we can we can discuss it. I think it's essential that we do. Uh, this is something that we've kind of been talking here about for the last well ever since the, the inception of the, the WHO treaty. We you know pandemic accord whatever it is they call it. They'll just call it something different. Uh, mm-hmm. the, they'll probably change the name in the next month or so just to stop whatever momentum builds against it. You're um, right. That's what they will do. They do it every single time. But apart from actually bringing awareness to it, and that's that's the point of us speaking out. That's the point of us having these platforms is that we bring awareness to these things and we hope that people will be aware of it and tell other people about it and they will contact their elected representatives if that even makes a difference anymore, which I largely I don't think that it does. All of the things that happened under uh, under COVID with the last few years, the governments didn't care if you were pushing back or not. They simply didn't care. Mm-hmm. In certain mm-hmm. parts of the world, you got tear gas, rubber bullets, and water cannons turned on you. If you mm-hmm. were saying, look, we don't want to close our businesses. Look what's happening to the farmers right now in, mm-hmm. in Europe. Look mm-hmm. what's happening in, in France and Germany and the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. The governments are saying they want to outlaw diesel. Are you insane? Yes. Like, are you insane? And that's that's under this, too. I mean, that's that's part of Agenda 2030. They want to outlaw diesel. That means no farming. Zero. I mean, none. The, and, the, you know, the farmers are pushing back and the people that are standing with them and look what happens to them. So the governments, yeah. they don't, you know, the elected, <clears throat> quote, elected representatives, right? If voting was, if it actually made a difference, it would be illegal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what he used to say. And, and I believe that. But they don't care. They, they just do not care. But at the end of the day, honestly, I, I don't think that matters because it's going mm-hmm. to come down to public opinion and we are going to have the final word. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, this is the thing is I think that Alan always knew and not to get caught up 
into a, that there was not a political solution for these things. But he was still always telling people, you've got to say something, you've got to say no. And people would say, well, he, he doesn't offer a solution. And if there isn't a political solution, if you can't sway your elected official to do the right thing, if that doesn't change it, but we do still have voices and if we if we weren't so easily manipulated into moving from whatever hot button topic they give us each day in the news if we could just stay focused on bigger picture things at least you'd have more voices in the choir saying oh, i don't we don't want to give up our our rights no on the I'm other I'm not interested in giving up anything we've given up enough already yeah Go ahead. On the other hand, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, I mean, I, w I was going to say, on the other hand, that was the last little bit that I marked for today from uh, Foundation's book. This is coming, the, the Ford Foundation selected a, somebody by the name of Dr. Mortimer Adler to head a study uh, in order to make sure that they got their educational philosophy clarified and then put into play. And this dovetailed with an article from 1949 in a publication called Common Cause. Okay, so this is 1949, Dr. Adler, Ford Foundation. He said, we are in a quiet, but nonetheless effective revolution. He did not disapprove of this revolution. Its direction was leftist, and he liked it. He wrote, Dr. Adler, by choice, the American people are never going to fall back to the right again. That deserves to be called a revolution accomplished. Either the Democratic Party will move further to the left or a new political party will form to the left of the Democrats. Dr. Adler has also expressed himself forcefully to the effect that world peace requires the total relinquishment and abolishment of the external sovereignty of the United States. Did you, when I, I you, I'm sorry, could you go back and read that last line again, please? You said something about peace? <laughs> yes. Uh, because that's that's really interesting in what I'm reading at the moment. I'll explain I, as soon as you say that again. I need, to, I need to just double check on what you said. Dr. Adler has also expressed himself forcefully to the effect that world peace requires the total relinquishment and abolishment of the external sovereignty of the United States. Mm -hmm. Okay, right there, right there. World peace, right. And you say he was a, uh, a hard leftist and you're talking about revolution. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. where I'm going with this. The goal of the international communist movement is, guess what? World peace. Right. And they can only achieve world peace when all the <clears throat> capitalist nations no longer exist. I just so happen to have up, and I had this up, it's right here, <laughs> just so happen to have up something called the World Peace Council. Have you heard of this? Uh, yes, I have. I'm sure, uh, yeah. I'm sure that you have, yes. <laughs> uh, was established as a, uh, uh, as a front group by the, guess who, Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. And it describes itself as an anti-imperialist, democratic, independent, and non-aligned international movement of mass action. Uh, this mm -hmm. is put together by anybody who wants to go and check this out. This is a, this is a very, very well done source of, of just information. It's done by Trevor Loudon, who is a, a New Zealand uh, anti-communist activist. Uh, and he does a lot of work with the American Survival Institute and a guy named Cliff Kincaid. And they put together something called KeyWiki. It's called KeyWiki.org. You can go over there and check out all the information they've got. 
And this is all of the stuff they've tracked through the years of how they've infiltrated our, our religious organizations and you know foundations. They've used foundations to, to do this. Uh, and I have a clip on that point. I do have a clip that I will play in just a few minutes uh, whenever you get back to your point there. But I thought I would mention this. When you said something about peace and revolution, I thought, uh-huh, okay. And that's that's exactly what I'm digging into at the moment is that. And this that, particular great. organization came up just yesterday in part of the section I was reading. That's great. Well, when I talk to people who, um, th- they're intelligent people, but I, I wouldn't call them awake to the matrix intelligent, you know, they just, they don't see that, that to them, politics and the left-right paradigm, it's, it's very, very real. But nonetheless, when I speak to more than one, several people who I would say have a conservative, they are conservatives, they would identify as conservatives, and they bewail the state of American conservatism or the Republican Party. They say there is no longer a Republican Party. What you have is that most members of the left or what you'd call the Democrat, the Democratic Party have moved so far to the left that they're a new party. It would be Marxist. It would be completely revolutionary. And then the Republican Party has shifted over to what you might call the old style liberal center liberal uh, yes. and that's where you find most people in the right now so even thinkers who buy into everything but you know they they mourn the loss of anything that resembles conservatism in the united states point out that what this author wormser was writing about in foundations in 1958 is a fait accompli and i i believe that 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 to be the truth, because you you point to an organization um, out of the Soviet Union that has done a tremendous amount of damage in the name of peace. But the very mandate of the Ford Foundation included world peace in its mission statement way back when the Aspen Institute, if you look at everything they're up to, and huge, huge machinations in the Middle East and provocations under the guise of peace. I do think that we're looking at probably for decades now, mission accomplished. We are run, you know, the fox is in the hen house and there's not much left. No, there's not. Uh, And I would also like to point out another tax-exempt foundation. It's called the, uh, and I've mentioned this to you, this is actually mentioned very heavily and it's covered extensively in a book called Shadow World by Robert Chandler, a book I've mentioned before. It is called the Institute for Policy Studies. It was founded in 1963 in Washington, D.C. by three people, one of which was a man by the name of Marcus Raskin, and another one was a guy named Samuel Rubin, who was an heir to the Fabergé fortune, who actually bought it from the original Fabergé family out of Tsarist Russia. And it just so happened to be that Mr. Rubin, whose daughter and uh, her husband actually now run part of that foundation. They took it over after he did, after he died. Uh, Mr. Rubin, his business partner was, guess who? Arm and Hammer. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it was uh, Lenin's capitalist. So yeah, and they, of course, have, they've got things that are, uh, they've got connections into the World Peace Council and everything else. And I can go into all mm-hmm. of that too. But, uh, and they have connections into another organization that they sponsor very heavily called the Riverside Church. I'm sure you've heard of the Riverside Church. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and if you get down into there, you know, if you get down into the uh, the Riverside Church and you get down into all of the people that 
are a part of all of the interworkings of that, you'll find very influential people such as the Reverend Jesse Jackson and uh-huh. the Reverend Al Sharpton and all the rest of it. Yeah. So all of this is all interconnected. And it's it's once you start looking at all the spider web, it's an it's incredible when you start untangling all this stuff uh, and you see where everything is. But I want to play this clip. Uh, this is this is something I found over the weekend. I think I sent you the extended version of this at one point in time, and you might. I'm pretty sure you still have it. But this is just a small snippet. This is a few minutes. This is Yuri Bezmenov. This is not from his uh, his talk where he's he's in the uh, the hotel room. He's actually teaching. He's got a, a chalkboard here, and he's talking about how the main targets are religion, family, education, and the media. And what they do to go after these things. And you tell me, right, he, he gives this back in the 80s. So if you, you can listen to it and you can tell me if they have not done exactly this. Take a listen. It takes from, um, say, 15 to 20 years to demoralize a society. Why, why 15 or 20 years? This is the time sufficient to educate one generation of students or children. One generation, one lifetime span of a person, a human being, which is dedicated to study, to shaping up the outlook, ideology, personality. No more, no less. Usually it takes from 15 to 20 years. These are the areas of application of subversion. What it means exactly, in case of religion, destroy it, ridicule it, replace it with various sects, cults, which bring people's attention, faith, whether it is naive, primitive, doesn't really matter. As long as the basically accepted religious dogma is being slowly eroded and taken away from the supreme purpose of religion to keep people in touch with with the supreme being, that serves the purpose. Therefore, replace accepted, respected religious organizations with fake organizations distract people's attention from the real faith and attract them to various different faiths. Education. Distract them from learning something which is constructive, pragmatic, efficient. Instead of mathematics, physics, foreign languages, chemistry, teach them history of urban warfare, natural food, uh, <laughs> home economy, your sexuality, anything, as long as it takes you away, okay? Uh, social life, replace traditionally established institutions and organizations with fake organizations. Take away the initiative from people, take away the responsibility from naturally established links between individuals, group of individuals, and society at large, and replace them with artificial bodies. The bodies of people, groups of people, whom nobody elected, never. As a matter of fact, most of the people don't like them at all, and yet they exist. One of such group is media. Who elected them? <laughs> how come, how come they, they, face, they, they, they have so much power, almost monopolistic power on your mind? They can rape your mind. But who elected them? How come they are, they have a nerve to decide what is good and what is bad for, for the elected by you, president and, and his administration? Who the hell are they? You mentioned that you had been digging into some education, some, some university 
listings and can 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 we talk can you mention yes i can i'm more than happy to do that this is to be honest with you this is kind of disturbing you saw the look on my face when you came in and that's why i had that look on my face of just distraught because of this is what they're actually teaching in, in universities now what did he say there about about education he says replace it with things that are not practical teach them you know about natural food which that's actually i mean that's a good thing because we got so much processed junk now so if people can actually eat healthier that's actually a good thing but he said make it about sexuality well that's what all of this has been like all of this is happening mm-hmm. in schools now mm-hmm. that's exactly mm-hmm. what they've done so let's look at what some of these universities i'm going to go over some universities here this is out of the daily caller if anybody wants to go and look this up princeton okay these are some of our supposedly top academic universities princeton all right everybody's heard of princeton they have a class that they offer to students titled and i'm i'm sorry i know that this is a family show but these are actual classes so i'm i'm going to mention these things for purpose of reference and nothing else this is obviously this is not an endorsement of any of this. I think this is appalling. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure that the listener will think so as well. Princeton University offered a class titled Black and Queer in Leather, Black Leather and PDSM Material Culture. This is what they're offering students. Now, mind you, by sept, uh, by the spring of 2023, their semester, the class will serve a black BDSM culture via research available in libraries and individuals involved in groups that participate in this culture. The university says in the course syllabus, we will consider the fragility of archival engagement with these communities by surveying existing BDSM archives in research libraries, community groups, and individuals in their personal spheres. That's according to the course syllabus. Now, to give you an idea of how much they actually charge for you to go there. This is what you're paying for for your for your child if you want them to go there to the prestigious university. $59,000 per year in tuition costs. That is not including housing and food costs. That will cost you an additional $20,000 almost if you want to uh, if you want to send your kid there. They also had classes that were titled uh, the previous year the F word and the public body, the anthropology of religion, fetishism, and decolonization. The, the, again, this is appalling, the, this uh-huh. kind of stuff. And this yeah, this goes on absolutely. and on and on. There's classes here in Westminster College entitled How to Be a... I'm not going to mention it, uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, that's, what? that's what they... Yeah, How to Be a... Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll bleep okay. that okay. part. But yeah, the university also another uh, also or offered another class titled Bad Sex, which debates the value of sex and questions if modesty and sexual relations is a worthwhile pursuit. Again, according to the course syllabus, Westland University announced it would cover abortion related costs and emergency contraception for students in the fall of the 2023 semester. University charges more than sixty six thousand dollars per year for tuition and nearly twenty thousand dollars for housing. You, you know where Westland got its name, the university, right? I do not, but go ahead and inform me because I don't know. Uh, John Wesleyan, a pre, an early American Christian preacher. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think his first name was John, but uh-huh. yeah, that's, okay. well, that's that Wesleyan. Is, so, uh-huh. that, has com- that has come full circle then, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Occidental College in California offers a course entitled Black Queer Thought. It offers critiques in the demands of heteronormativity. White supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism. Now, mm-hmm. Again, subversion of our education system. This is what you're paying to send your, your kid to be, to be a student of this. Mm-hmm. University of Southern Oregon offered a class titled Decolonizing Transgender. And the, uh, the course examines the development of the word transgender across social, cultural, historical, legal, medical, and political context. They also offer a certificate in transgender studies, according to the school's website. University of Chicago offered a course entitled Queering God that questions if God is queer and what queerness has to do with the concept of God. 
what does queerness have to do with Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, is according to the course uh, description. But again, th- like I said, this goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But this is exactly what he talked about. This is what they've replaced everything with, with education. Mm. It's appalling. It, it's absolutely appalling. I'm disgusted by this. It really is ap- appalling. It, it, it's just, I'm going to mention somebody really quickly here, if I can find it. This I, When I was looking into, I just wanted to get hold of the Ford Foundation this morning really quickly before we spoke, since I had, be, you know, I marked those spots to read to you. And mm-hmm. who is running the Ford Foundation? First of all, compared to the, the other, I, I think that the capital of that Danish or was like $160 billion. Um, Gates is up there. Ford is now like 11th on the list at something like 14 billion. So, but they've got plenty of money. Oh no, right here it says their endowment is currently 16 billion. That's updated. So the president of the Ford Foundation currently is a gentleman by the name of Darren Walker. He's the 10th president of the Ford Foundation. I stress 10th because the Ford Foundation has been around for a long time now, since the 30s. So we're going on 100 years. So these these appointees to president, they last a long time. And what they bring in in terms of values, the, the mandate of the Ford Foundation is not, it's not just heavy on peace. It's heavy on education, advancing. Oh, they've got, yeah. So anyway, Darren. He led the Ford Foundation to issue a $1 billion designated social bond to stabilize nonprofit organizations in the wake of COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so doesn't that sound like they, they issued a bond to pay themselves? <laughs> right? Yes, it does. Yeah. And I'd, okay. I'd just like to point out, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Obama worked for the Ford Foundation for a very long time. I don't know that, but that does not not it surprise, does not surprise me. me. That, yeah, not, not at all. I, I had heard that uh, several several years ago in a documentary that I believe Alan was in, uh, where they, they pointed out uh, in that documentary, it wasn't him that pointed it out, but it was somebody else, where uh, Obama, I think they mentioned Obama was uh, an empl- worked for the Ford Foundation for almost 30 years. Oh, I, I don't remember that at all. I know he was uh, an organizer in Chicago and that many- Yes. To, yeah. to do grassroots, Acorn. so-called- yeah. Gra- yeah. That may have come from Ford. I don't I don't know. And I don't remember that in the documentary. But anyway, Walker is a member. Now, this this is important because you'll recognize this word right away. He's a member of the reimagining New York <laughs> Commission. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And yeah. yeah and co-chair of 2020 New York City Census. And where did we get reimagining? We got it from Klaus Schwab, from Bill Gates, from Bloomberg, from Sor. You know, they were all on board with this. In October of 2021, Walker announced that the Ford Foundation will divest its investments from fossil fuels and seek opportunities to invest in alternative and renewable energy in the future, including investing in funds that address the threat of climate change and support the transition to a green economy. It goes on to talk a little bit earlier. He was a lawyer and an investment banker. Oh, how shocking he was an investment banker. Now, you mentioned in an email to me about interlocking directorships. Yes. And here Foundations he is. Foundations are just the same as, as yep. corporations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So he is uh, serves on the on many boards, including National Gallery of Art, Carnegie Hall, the High Line, the Smithsonian National Museum, African American History and Culture Committee to Protect Journalists, Square, PepsiCo, Ralph Lauren. He is a fellow at the for of the Institute for Urban Design, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and a board member of the Arcus Foundation, Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, Friends of the High Line. I don't know about this High Line. This will be interesting to look into. How can you hold so but, many positions simultaneously? <laughs> well, because you have a big fat wallet. Yes. 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 That's true. I'm like, what? My goodness. This person must never get five minutes to themselves. So now I'm I am saying this just as a matter of fact here. Uh, There are a lot of observations that I could make about this gentleman based on his education, et cetera, et cetera. The only one that I want to highlight, I'm getting straight from Wiki. Walker is openly gay. He is Everything that you see about him in his early life, education, career, and so forth shows a leaning to things that are pretty far on the left. Here's another interesting thing. He was vice president from 2002 to 2010 for the foundation initiatives at the Rockefeller Foundation, where he oversaw a wide range of programs in the United States and internationally. And at the Rockefeller Foundation, he led recovery program in the south of the U.S. after Hurricane Katrina. Now, any of us who have looked into the money that slushed around Katrina know what a scam that was. What I'm pointing out by even mentioning the fact that he is gay is because when you knock down one pillar of society, then the building is unstable. The rest of the pillars will go. And then you'll have the things that you are talking about being taught at universities taught. When I hear you read those course descriptions, not only is it appalling, but there is an element of an inversion of nature, what is natural, what is could even be deemed to be right because it occurs in nature you pull that down that is completely destroyed and it's a, you know and then you're asking the question is god queer yeah it just shows that the the attack on the religious institution as well that what Besmanoff was talking about you know go yeah. after and replace them with various sex cults and that's what they've done that is what they've done they so you've got attack on all of this if you look closely at most of these foundations who purport to be working for peace, for justice, for education reform, what you're looking at is obvious subversion of family, religion, education. And you've also got with the uh, the World Economic Forum and the Agenda 2030 and uh, or 21 or Sustainable Development Goals, green agendas or green energy, renewable, whatever, all this crap that doesn't work, mm-hmm. these electric vehicles, you have a, a subversion of the underpinning of what actually gives us sustainable life here in the That's West. Right. Our industrial base, our industrial powerhouse is being removed. That's right. And people, you know, people who can still think for themselves, you can still think for yourself. So you know a man is a man, a woman is a woman, and you don't go out and pray to Mother Earth. No, I love the planet, you know, because it gives us everything we need, but not to that extent. You know, I, exactly. Yeah. So so what you have then, when you've got the president of the Ford Foundation with these billions of money that is at his discretion on how to spend 
talking about divesting themselves of fossil fuels, you understand that you are listening to words coming out of the mouth of a liar and a con man. Because anyone at that level who is participating in the sustainable green agenda is a liar and a con man. So it, it trickles down on us. We, you know, our rights are taken away rapidly in the name of protecting the earth and, you know, saving the environment. And it's, th this is a massive lie. And it doesn't matter how many school children you indoctrinate, how many university students have, swal have, have swallowed this bunk, this rubbish. It's still a lie. Yes. And now you look at all of the appointees. I, I was thinking about this talking with Neil Foster on A Real History recently. I, I believe it was Neil, if it wasn't, forgive me. But um, it's Biden's government is kind of heavy on men who identify as women. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> yes, they, they are. Have you looked at our Air Force chiefs of staff? And, yes. And our um, uh, our Surgeon General and all the rest of this, mm -hmm. our, our Navy mm -hmm. admirals. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like, like we said earlier in this talk, we're in a bad way. Yes. We're seriously, we're behind the eight ball and we don't need to be playing safety <laughs> this time around. <laughs> uh, it, it needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed now. But you know, unfortunately, all we can do is continue to do the research and do the work that we do and hope that people pay attention. That's all we can do. Anyway, we are coming up on time here. So it's great to have you back after the first of the year. And I will see you in two weeks. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. Would you like to tell everybody about the latest podcast that you have up and what you've got going on on Cutting Through the Matrix before you go? Well, I took a little bit of a break between Christmas and now. This is the first thing I've done since Christmas. Me too. And it was nice. <laughs> well, except, yeah. except with Marty, uh, he and I, we got bored one afternoon. We're like, oh, let's just do something. So we did. I enjoyed that. I listened to to your boredom. It was fun. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be, you know, doing things again. I don't want to heavily advertise or promise things too much, but as always, I have ideas and things I'm concluding the, I, I did a, a six, I'm working on a six part series that I took from one of Alan's talks and I'm about to upload part five of that. Took me a while, but I had a lot of other personal things going on and the real history that is going up tomorrow i've tentatively entitled a man in nature and it was a really interesting conversation that i had with a gentleman who lives in canada off grid but that's interesting no i'm uh, yeah, yeah, it was fun i have to check that yeah. one out yeah. yeah all right well again it's been an absolute pleasure i will see you in two weeks again that is melissa from cutting through the i encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that she and the other curators where they maintain the life collective works of the late great alan watt and also her podcast is real history with melissa that is available everywhere you get your podcasts melissa i will see you in two weeks thank you for being here today thank you to all of the listeners god bless everyone and have a great evening